So, uh, I've been thinking. There's three of us here, right? And I feel like a fourth person would make things a whole lot more fabulous. And I was wondering, where are we at temperature-wise on adding a AI John Lennon into the podcast mix? You know, permanent fourth guy. Are we taking this to a vote? I feel like Matt's he's got the operations stuff under control. He would know um, where uh, where the tech is. And, and look, we could do it. I just think it's kind of odd that we're having a conversation about should we have a, a virtual AI John Lennon as part of the show in lieu of our actual third brother or fourth brother <laughs> that actually exists as a human being. Ooh, yeah, like we do have enough. Do options. we have enough audio recording of Mark to AI him into the podcast? I no, I I mean, like, why don't we just get him to be part of this? Why would we? Why do we have to be AI? Because Mark, as we've learned in the last in week, his life participate in this. Well, and also Andrew, as we've learned in the last week, things are a lot better when you AI in the third and fourth person. So maybe I step away from the podcast. And then you wow. guys AI me back in and then also grab Mark and put him in. Well, hold on. The only way that works is if you record some guitars today and then in 30 years, we'll AI those guitars into the no, podcast. But when I record the guitars, I'll sing with the guitar, too. So then you guys have to figure out how to separate the audio <laughs> on my voice versus the musical instrument. And I'm going to need you to do it with a loud like air conditioner running right behind you. Yes. So we can separate all of it out. With AI. Eristocats. Uh, kind of, it's kind of like that, except it's the Beatles. Uh, so for anyone that's not paying any sort of attention, we are clearly talking about now and then uh, the new and final Beatles single here at Such Good Shit. One, two, three, five! So Such Good Shit is a podcast where we talk about all the things that make something such good shit. And in this case, it's the Beatles. You really so, fucked that one up. What do you mean? You should have said, welcome to Such Good Shit, it. a good podcast where the three of us who are brothers get together and talk about all the things that make the Beatles such good shit. Basically what I said. Or wait, is it welcome to such good shit? No, it was what you said. Just that there's no (laughs) definitely not what you just said. See, we can't even get our own bits right. God damn it. Well, in any case, we're here to talk about the Beatles now and then. So uh, backstory. um, We first heard about this coming in June when Paul McCartney just randomly was like, oh, yeah, there's going to be. The new uh, a new Beatles track this year, and we're all like, "What? Where did this come from?" Um, and then we didn't hear anything for like months, while the speculation just kind of went rampant on the internet. And then around September, uh, Ringo Starr had an interview, and he was like, he was asked about it, and he was like, "It was supposed to be out already," and they were like, "Well, when is it coming?" He's like, "I don't know. It's not up to me." Um, and then a little while after that, Penn Gillette of Penn and Teller on his podcast just drops a bombshell and he goes, Oh yeah. You guys know that, uh, that new Beatles song that Paul McCartney talked about. Yeah. Yeah. It's coming. It's coming real soon. Also, they're going to re-release the red and the blue albums all remastered. And he starts dropping bombshell after bombshell after bombshell. And we're like, what the fuck? Who gave him the keys to the Beatles castle? Uh, and apparently he'd gotten some tour at the Apple studios where he learned of all this. And he, and he, he was talking details. He's like, Oh yeah, they've got a de-aged Paul McCartney voice in there. They've got George Harrison in there and all these things. Um, for Beatles fans who, who are in the know, we've all kind of known about this song now and then for, 30 years um, when they did the anthology series back in 1994, 1995, there were 
four songs that were given to the band from Yoko Ono. Uh, Free as a Bird, Real Love, Now and Then, and Grow Old With Me. And they decided Grow Old With Me was not a good look because it's a song about John Lennon singing about growing old with Yoko Ono. And the fact that he got shot and killed in 1980 uh, kind of made that song a little weird. Uh, so they d- ditched that one. And so they were going to do Freeze a Bird, Real Love, and Now and Then. One for each of the anthology albums. And by the time they got to Now and Then, um, they started working on it for a couple days. Uh, George Harrison recorded guitar parts. Uh, Paul McCartney recorded a bass. Um, and Ringo did drums. So they did a fair amount of work on it. But ultimately, they couldn't fully separate John Lennon's voice from the piano and remove there's this this horrible hum like just audio just buzzing in the in the mix and they couldn't with 1990s technology they couldn't do it they couldn't get it all separated um so George Harrison declared that this that's just rubbish and the way the Beatles are, operate nowadays uh, or at least since then was as a democracy and if one of them said no that was it and so since George said no, they put it aside, and that was it. But fans kind of knew that th- there were, over the years, um, both George and Paul have talked about it. And Paul especially, in recent years, has always talked about, oh, I wish we could go back and finish now and then. Like He was always really into this song and really wanted to get it done. And uh, a couple years ago, Peter Jackson got involved with the Beatles and he produced the get back documentary that's on Disney plus. And one of the technologies they use was a thing called Mal, which is an AI that can separate and isolate voices, instruments, etc. It was highly beneficial for the production of that documentary. All of the audio on that documentary was captured with a single mono microphone and they were able to separate it all out to, stereo mixes and separate and isolate voices crazy crazy stuff and so paul was like hey why don't we use that on john's demo and so they did they were able to completely isolate john lennon's voice from the piano get rid of all the hum and they're like cool so they they throw in george's guitars that they already had uh ringo and and paul recorded new bass and drums and some additional guitar parts they got a, an orchestra to come in and bing, bang, boom. We now have a new Beatles song. Well, that's the long-winded <laughs> explanation of how we got here. Yeah, it is a good song, too. You know? Yeah, I like, think for all the, the songs key. you could end on, of, of all the lost songs like, they could have had, it's honestly uh, pretty up there in terms of uh, quality. It might just be, you know, 2023 production, uh, good writing by Lennon. So... That might just be all that it really is, but it's fantastic. Well, the song's really apropos, too, right? Like, the content of the song is sort of perfect. A, to be the final Beatles song, and then B, that John Lennon wrote it, right? Because a lot of the lyrics are, you know... If you watch the music video, right, you directly apply it to George and John not being here anymore. Yeah, it's like when and, uh, and one Johnny day Cash Paul and, and Ringo as well. Yeah, it's a lot it's like, like when. Uh, well, all, ain't no grave came out like years after he was dead. Oh. Like they, <laughs> I, I was going to say it was more like hurt in the sense that it's sort of a uh, you know, it's a coda to the mm-hmm. the career. Yeah. Um. Yeah, the song is. It, it's it's amazing what they did. So I, I've heard the original demo. Um, it's it's on YouTube. You can find it, and it's a very downbeat song. A lot of the stuff John wrote in the late seventies was kind of downbeat stuff. Um, and this one in particular, it's basically a song to Yoko Ono, the original version, a song to Yoko Ono about him or her leaving him and coming back to him and stuff like that about their relationship. Um, But what Paul did uh, in Ringo, they removed um, verses, specific verses that 
really honed it in on it being about uh, Yoko walking away from him and coming back to him. Uh, they removed those and just centered on the verse and chorus that we hear in the finished song now. Uh, and it really changes what the song is about, right? Because it's now about George and John, you know, singing to Paul and Ringo and vice versa, right? It's it's kind of them hitting back at each other. Like, hey, you're gone, we miss you. And hey, we, you know, you're gone and we miss you kind of a thing. Um, it's not like my favorite Beatles song. Um, it's not even my favorite of the three of the, 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 the modern Beatles songs, right? I think real love's my favorite. Um, but this one technically is superior. Um, and it's emotional, right? Like you, the first time I heard it, like you, you, you couldn't help but get swept up in the emotions of the song. Uh, and then the video, I mean, good Lord, I, I almost had tears in my eyes the first time I watched the video, right? Cause you, and we'll, we'll cover the video a little more in depth a little bit, but like there's points in that video where you just were like, holy shit, like it, it, you couldn't believe that you're seeing, you know, what you're seeing on screen. Yeah. I, so <clears throat> two things here and we, we can get on the emotion of the song in a second, but I do want to say that in terms of the quality of the song, it might not be the best Beatles song ever, but I think it's easily like in the top 25 or so of their catalog. Like to me, it's a top yeah. quarter, probably top quarter, if not top half song. So I easily think, top half. I think that's important, right? Like if the song would have been bad, it would have been a problem. <laughs> um, right. It would have been a big problem. It, it's such a beautiful end to the greatest music group ever. Right. Yeah. Um, and, and you know what I'm, it's, I think it's good that we got it now versus back in 1995. I think it means more today with George Harrison being gone as well. And not to be morbid, we're clearly getting to the end of Paul McCartney and Ringo's careers as well. Right. They're both in their eighties now. I think it means more emotionally than it would have 30 years ago had it come out when it was planned. Well, I'll add to that too. And you guys might disagree with this, but I've been saying it for a little bit now. I think we're living in the last Beatles generation. Like I don't really see the same enthusiasm from Gen Z, um, even younger millennials for the Beatles. Right. So like our parents' generation, Beatlemania, right? Um, I think Gen X, you saw a lot of those musicians were heavily inspired by the Beatles still. Um, and then certainly elder millennials, it was still a big part of growing up. It's like the first time you discover the Beatles. And um, I feel like you, you, we're seeing it taper. And I think this song comes out at a point where this is probably the last Beatles generation. Um, and, and I think, yeah. you think if you think about it in terms of just personal connection to it, right? Like it's our parents' music, so it means still more to mm -hmm. us, but I don't see our kids kind of having that connection too, right? Like they're not going to listen to it and be like, oh, yeah. my parents listened to this when they were kids. So yeah, my dad listened to this old stuff when he was a kid. Like th that's part of it. Yeah. I mean, yeah. you know, I listen to this stuff and it's like, you can think about people, you know, in your life. It's like, I wonder what they thought when they first heard this, but. I, now, the, now, the other thing is we, you know, we're living in a generation where popular music only really became a thing in our parents' generation, the boomers, right? I mean, music's been around for centuries, thousands, thousands of years, but recorded popular music really has only been a thing since the early 20th century. Uh, and I would argue that it really hit its peak coming out of World War II, right? The boomer generation. So this is new territory for everybody, right? Of how far can popular music continue to be popular, right? We're, we're roughly, what, three generations from the Beatles? 
you, well, you can look initial... at it in terms of like how it influences pop music, the actual artist, right? So mm-hmm. clearly the Beatles influenced everything in the 70s. That's a no brainer. But like I said earlier, you look at the Gen X artists, Nirvana heavily influenced by the Beatles, like a Jay-Z notable, notable, like huge Beatles fan, right? But the people that those guys influenced, I don't know if there's that direct thread anymore. I think that's where you start. Right. There's indirect, but there's not a direct. Yeah. Where does that direct line end? Well, and so here's what's surprising. It's come out. The the song's been out for a week or so now. Um, It hit number one in the uh, singles charts in the UK. This is the Beatles, I think, 18th number one single. Um, which is a huge deal, right? Because they've had gajillion number one singles, but they haven't had one since they were still together in the 70s um, because the two 90s songs never hit number one. Um, and also the Red and the Blue re-releases are both apparently hitting number one where, and number two did, for the album Where did charts. Now and Then top in the U.S.? Shed curiosity. I don't know, actually. I can go look that up. Yeah, no, I'd, I'd be curious as well. Um, Andrew sort of as the youngest in the group, and I, I think you're still firmly in the Beatles-loving age space, but, I mean, what do you see in terms of, like, your friends and peers, Beatles popularity? Um, I have a f- maybe one or two friends uh, that would actually listen to them very casually. Um. But I mean, my friends kind of have the same opinion of me where it's, you know, it's good. You're not going to complain if it's on, if it's not really on your playlist. It's just, it's the Beatles are the greatest band of all time. You give them your flowers, but like they're not in your cycle of stuff. But that's just also me and my friends don't listen to that kind of rock music. Um, I will say one of my best friends, like the Beatles, is their favorite band. I don't know if that's still the case i haven't had that conversation and you're always gonna have years but you're always gonna have that right there's always that that person who's like i love the beatles and that's their thing but i i think you hit on something pretty important which is you're you brought up like this isn't the genre of music you guys listen to whereas i i think the difference between that and the kind of earlier groups I talked about is it doesn't matter what kind of music you listen to. You also listen to the Beatles, right? I mentioned Jay-Z earlier, huge Beatles fan. So I think that is where you start to see the change. I think that's like a very important nuance. Yeah, potentially. I I think it's curious because again, it's like, I don't not listen to the Beatles, but also I can't imagine the like, I can't remember the last time I would have, just pop them on to listen to them. I mean, I'll be honest. Like you get, I get enough of the Beatles at Target, you know? <laughs> sure. Uh, I'll, I'll be honest. A lot of the emotion when I was listening to the song and watching the video for the first time, a lot of it was me just thinking about the fact that it didn't have as much fanfare. Like, nope, not a lot of people I knew cared as much as I did that it was happening. And that, that kind of sucked. I don't know if you guys had similar. Well, I mean, Andrew, I don't think cared as much as Matt, you and I cared about it. No, I wasn't going to worry about it until it was in front of me. And I don't think any of my friends have even mentioned it. Yeah, none of my friends have really said anything. Um, The two people that I messaged about it was Alec and our dad. (laughs) Like, um, By the way, they did hit in the U.S. chart uh, number seven. Um, yeah, so that's pretty good. But again, I think that's that is a spark of sadness for me, right? You would, I think this song is good enough to where it should have been a number one song, but and it could still get there because this is just the first um, week. So you know, and I don't know what the period of time is and stuff. That might only include like one day from when it came out versus the entirety of the week. So we'll have to see how that plays out. Um, but yeah, I I felt like there was a decent amount of fan. Here's the deal. Most of the fanfare was in the media, tailored to the generations that would have listened to them to begin with, the boomers and then Gen X. 
there was a lot of stuff on the news, like on regular terrestrial news, that they did, you know, news stories about it. There was a lot of stuff it published in like USA Today and Rolling Stone, things like that. There just wasn't as much. And I saw a lot on message boards, not Reddit, like actual forums at a website, right? But like Twitter wasn't really talking about it. Facebook wasn't really talking about it. It was all the more, um, the, the, the things on the internet and the things in the media that, quite frankly, our parents would look yeah, at. Yeah, exactly. And that's kind of what I was getting at is I, I think that's a clear indicator of the, you know, I the Beatles are going to live on long after Paul and Ringo, but there there will be an end. How long Yeah, there, there will be an end to it all for sure. Um, yeah, I don't know. It's a, it's, anyway, <laughs> to the emotional part, it's a bittersweet thing, right? Yeah. Um, yeah, absolutely. I was talking to our dad about the song and... It's, he didn't get super emotional, but he was definitely emotional talking about it, which I found very interesting. So, I mean, obviously our listeners don't know our parents, but dad, dad doesn't get emotional talking about stuff, right? So, um, and like I said, he didn't get super emotional, but he did say I was emotional watching it, which is sort of like a mm-hmm. acknowledgement that it's... Uh, <laughs> right. Um, and I think it's... Well, yeah, and think about it. From dad's perspective... Our dad listened to the Beatles when it was happening. He would have been, so at the time of Beatlemania, like 1964, he would have been 13, right? So he was right there at the time um, when they first came over, right? He was, and then he became a teenager and an early adult during their, you know, he was 20 or 21 when the last out, you know, when Let It Be came out. So he was right there for it. Um, yeah, it's funny. I, I, uh, I got to imagine. The timing on that is interesting because I don't know why I heard this, but I was listening to a Mark Hamill podcast. I can't remember who was hosting it. And he was talking about the Beatles and he was talking about he's our dad's age. And he was talking about being in college and like finding out the Beatles broke up and it being like a big deal, I guess, in his dorm or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um. So, anecdote, right? Not a personal story. Yeah, well, yeah, because for their it, it age, is interesting to think about for their specific age, for somebody who's in their early mid seventies, they grew up with the Beatles, right? And then by the time they got to adulthood, oh, Beatles are gone, right? That's like a piece of your childhood being taken away. Yeah, and I don't know if there's a modern comparison really to any of it i think we were talking about john lennon's assassination to take this in a morbid way recently i don't remember why do you remember this conversation matt and like we were trying to find the comparison of what the modern day equivalent would be and it would be like i vaguely recall yeah and it was like it'd be like taylor swift or some i don't want to like put that out into the universe but someone of that stature but they're also like retired but also kind of recently retired but they're like you know, in their I late thirties, like 40s, when Michael so. Jackson died, but it's different because he was What's the more mo- so much older. Old, you know, ten years older. Landon was like forty, and it, it also needs to be a group. And we don't have band. It's so hard right. to draw the modern comparison to like the Beatles yeah. as a unit, to them breaking up, to losing John. It's it's hard. And I think it points well, it, how unique it, they are. And it's hard because because of how it happened, right? He didn't just die of an overdose or anything, right? There, there was intent, there were bad intentions there. Um, and it was one of those things where they had only been broken up for not even 10 years. They could have very easily gotten back together. Yeah, I mean, we, we saw it with Blink, together. right? I think Blink-182, mm-hmm. they're not nearly as popular, but a similar thing right the band breaks up and it took about 10 years and now they're back together or something like that seven or eight years but um we get to have the the happy ending even if right even if blink only does this one album and then they go you know we're done now we at least got to have that this this one last happy ending and for the beatles we didn't we didn't really get that and and to unless you count 
Abbey Road, technically. Well, and to bring it back to sort of the boomers, right? Getting that experience with Blink where it's a band you listen to in your youth. And then now as an adult, getting to see them come back together and getting to see them write songs from the perspective of adults, right? And some of their songs from the perspective of adults talking to their younger selves is a really cool thing. And that's something that, you know, our dad and our parents and that generation didn't get, right? And that was something we had talked about was it's a shame they never got back together and, you know, what would their music have looked like as as men versus children. They were children when they broke up. Yeah. Yeah, they were only... (laughs) They were in their, their, what, their mid twenties. Mid twenties. Yeah. I think yeah. Andrew is I older mean, than any of the Beatles were when they broke up. I believe Ringo might've been well, like, so closer to, he's a few years older, but. I started watching, uh, this past week, the Beatles anthology on DVD because I really, I haven't seen it in a few years. So I was like, let me go dig out my DVDs and start watching it. And they, when they started freaking George Harrison was like 16 like when they first started, like officially started, which is just wild because they only existed as a band for like 12 years, 10 years. The yeah, run. and they were only really writing prolifically about writing music for years. like maybe only about five years because they were doing album about to half album. covers for those first few albums. Well, first album to last album was seven You look years. at those years where they stopped touring. How long was that? 65 to 69 65 to 70 yeah yeah, four years yeah i mean it's crazy like four years the output that came out of them is like insanity lennon and ringo were 29 and harrison and mccartney were 27 when they broke up just to further clarification and they lived a lifetime at that point like that is nuts yeah it is hard to fathom paul mccartney's life right you know it it really is and ringo both of them yeah ringo too um so you know what's interesting about ringo and we're gonna talk about the beatles more in depth at some point and we'll talk specifically about these songs but i find it interesting that two of the best songs in the Beatles catalog they let Ringo sing on right (laughs) (laughs) like (laughs) of all things um you know but you know what I've learned so when we were younger Ringo was always the butt of jokes about the Beatles always right that was always the joke in the last few years and especially now with this new song coming out everyone's giving Ringo his flowers for once like, they're finally like, man, if it wasn't for Ringo, the Beatles wouldn't have been what they were. Because Ringo, and watching the anthology kind of brought this back to me, too. They went through a lot of drummers before they got to Ringo. And it was one of those deals where, like, they just never found the right guy. It just wasn't right. And as soon as Ringo drummed for them, at one, he was filling in. They were like, holy fuck, that's the guy. And Ringo was the glue that held that all together. Well, he was the most mature. Like he, he was like the anchor maturity and musically in the band. I was going to say, not just musically, he was the guy that held those egos together, right? You have two of the greatest songwriter or three of the greatest songwriters of all time. Right. But the top two of Lennon and McCartney, as they got older and they got more prolific, they butted heads. And then, you know, Harrison also, Ringo was Ringo was best friends with each one of them. Right? So even when George and Paul weren't getting along, Ringo was still getting along with both of them separately. Ringo was the, <laughs> the guy who parallels to, kind of to Blink 182 is really funny. <laughs> when you start talking about Ringo, right? Ringo and Travis Barker is a, a crazy parallel. Right? So yeah. Blink brings in Travis yeah. who's this really talented drummer. And then he ends up basically being the anchor of the band and the one that keeps pulling them back together, Tom. And, and so it's, yeah, you know, not to like, again, I don't want to nobody get confused. I'm not comparing the Beatles to Blink-182, but I do think it's a funny parallel. There's there's comparison. And, and it, it speaks to something about the drummer 
has to be you really need a professional drummer, especially for those years where yeah. the Beatles are touring, right? It's difficult, I'm sure, to play drums when you can't hear because you're leading the rhythm. And you have to play loud enough, too, that everybody else can keep their rhythm when you can't hear because there's yeah. thousands of people screaming. If not for Ringo, the rest of them would have been lost. They literally couldn't have, they wouldn't have known where they were. You know? Yeah, it, and when Ringo went into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame a few years ago, um, they kind of had a litany of the great drummers talking about what made Ringo so great. And so if, if you're a Ringo Seen fan that. or if you're a Ringo hater, you should watch this. It's it's good stuff. But getting to see, you know, Every, Dave Grohl and and Travis mm-hmm. Barker, some of the modern the guys, greatest drummers then, of the modern era. And they're all just like, oh, my God, Ringo. Yeah, Questlove. Can I say something about band chemistry, too, that I think is important as we start to move away from rock bands being a a concept? Um, Everything that Matt just talked about in terms of the egos meshing and the sort of undercurrent within a band dynamic of, you know, different egos and... uh, you know, chemistry with each other. That kind of stuff shows through in music, through emotion, right? Like you can feel something in music when there's, you know, personal strife or when a band is filled with friends, right? So I use Blink as the example. It's like they're a fun-loving group and you can tell they're all friends and that shows through in their music. Or you look at a band like Fleetwood Mac and there's, this crazy turmoil going on within the band and you feel that in their music too. And I think that's something that we really lose when in modern times now with the advent of electronic drumming and farming out, um, you know, your musicians within your band to, you know, different professionals, you lose that dynamic. And do you guys feel that same way? Where it's like you can feel personal strife or kinship within a, a group dynamic come through in the music. You can oh, yeah. usually tell so. when you listen to an artist pretty much right away if the entire song is written by one person, every aspect of it. It's usually noticeable. There's just something about it. And especially like that person that write it writes it might be the lead singer and you can tell there's a lot of focus on the singing of those songs as opposed to I I don't feel like you notice that as much. It's very subtle thing. I feel like if you could pull out two songs and listen to them side by side, you'd notice what I'm trying to say. Um I'd have to come up with those examples. But no, you can, and, and, and you, you can, can you can feel it too, even in performances when you have the solo artists. You take like a Tom Petty, right? So he plays Heartbreaker songs as just Tom Petty with like a different band, and you can feel it's a different song too. Um, so there, there are you can get those direct comparisons if you really want on the exact same song, right? Or or another group covering someone else's song, but. Um, yeah, I, feel, I I think that humanity is something that we're losing. And it, again, it's what makes this song so emotional because the Beatles are mm-hmm. sort of, they're the start and now they're sort of the end of this entire era of music, right? Which is rock and roll music. Yeah. I um, don't know if another rock about- and roll song will ever come out that'll get to seven on the US charts. This might be the highest yeah. charting rock song to come out for the rest of history now. Maybe. That's possibly true. When I look at the rest of the list, that's like the only real rock song on there. Yeah, but you know there's always every chance that it just circles back again eventually. Because you're going to have maybe. generations of people being raised on hip-hop that are going to maybe flip back. It's just sort of that we'll see. We'll see a lot of these genres of music come from. um, What did you just say? I said, we'll see if AI ruins music or not. Uh, I mean, I think I know mumble rap is ruining music. 
So here's what's going to happen. You have to remember that music is determined by public opinion. So if AI ruins music, people aren't going to listen to the shitty music. There's always going to be like-minded people that want to get together with some instruments and make some really good music. And the stuff that's going to stand out if quote unquote AI ruins music is going to be fucking rock bands playing out of garages. Because everybody else has got to have a lot of electronics in their music. I don't know. I think it's a lot more of kids sitting at their computers now and and but that's my point if that stuff. music sucks no it's it's so it first of all sucks and what's that, that you're talking subjective right if you look at popular music right so pop music mm-hmm. um is usually written from the perspective of teenagers right generally um and so i think think what happens and I, I was reading something interesting about this kind of recently is if you look at like modern hip-hop music when matt says mumble rap it's there is a subset of rap now it's just emo hip-hop youth is always going to express the same emotions in their music the vehicle changes and so that's why i'm not so confident it's gonna circle back around to rock and roll music i think the youth expresses their, you know, the standard teenage angst and emotions and all of that stuff through whatever the technological means are at the time. That's my theory, at least. So I think that's why we've moved more towards heavily electronic influenced music, because it's the most accessible way to create your art, right? It's the easiest way to do it. Just my opinion. And then AI's... AI is about to come in and just fucking. I mean, I guess maybe a part of me feels like it's just like that because of marketing. Like eventually, mm. I think we're already kind of seeing it is that there's so much content out there that although music is one of those industries where marketing can really control the flow of what's popular and what isn't the way that some other industries that are just loaded with content can't necessarily always do. But the well's going to run dry eventually. You're not really going to be able to control public opinion with Instagram well, it, posts to get them to listen to a certain artist. But and if it, the I best don't think music it's, will shine through in the end. Well, I guess it depends what we mean by like, shine th- i'm just talking about in terms of like what will be the popular music to youth of tomorrow i don't think we can conceive of what that genre is because if you listen to hip-hop today or like what's on the charts it's really quite different from what hip-hop was 20 years ago right i mean i lament that all the time where it's like hip-hop used to be fun and you know it was about just fucking you know fat asses and shit and like it's not that anymore it's a completely different thing And I think that much like technology, I feel like it's going to be hard for us to sit here right now and conceive of what kids 20 years ago are going to, you know, be listening to. Just like the same way you look at rock music from the 70s versus, um, you know, blues music from the 40s and 50s, right? It's things change so much. I, I don't know. I I think, Andrew, what you're saying is hip-hop won't be the dominant music forever, right? Um, But I I don't know. I feel like I don't even know if hip-hop is the most dominant. Isn't it really just pop music? Yeah. No, hip-hop, I think, right now is. Yeah. But it's like not the kind of hip-hop you would think. It's not hip-hop that we grew up with. It's modern hip-hop. Exactly. Different. Yeah. So... I don't know. We've really gone down the rabbit hole now. We really circled around from now to or then to now. Let's let's go back to the the song. Um, I want to talk about the video. So I love the video. I think it was a very well done video. Um, Peter Jackson and his team put together. I think it's a very suitable video for the final Beatles song. Um, 
yeah, the video itself is emotional. Like I was talking about earlier, you know, it starts out with them in the studio working on it. And then there's a scene of uh, John Lennon wistfully looking at the ocean while like, he's like thinking about like old times with them. And then all of a sudden Paul McCartney comes in uh, at the same time as vocals kick in and you're like, Oh, okay. John is singing essentially to Paul. Paul is singing back to him. And then you get a shot of the, the two remaining Beatles, Paul and, and Ringo and they're singing. And then all of a sudden, all four of them are on screen together, playing together, um, using old stock footage and clips from um, primarily the Hello Goodbye uh, music video and outtakes from that. And that was surreal. I mean, obviously, you know, it's fake, you know, it's CG or whatever you want to call it. But just the emotional register of seeing the four of them on screen performing. That hit me a lot. Um, and especially with the whole now and then motif, right? Cause you've got the two younger Beatles cause they're no longer with us. And then the two modern day Beatles. It's funny. You say that that hit for you because to me, I kept wondering why they used the, um, why they used those, that era of Beatle to like transpose in. It felt so fucking out of place to me and like took me out of it. it. Like if they would have been using, john from the late 70s and george from the 90s to me that would have made more sense i know why they they did tech from a technical perspective because the the way that they captured the videos and the performances from the hello goodbye video was a lot of front facing them side by side by side so it was easy to cut them out and get from a technical perspective, that's why it was done. Yeah, and if you want to do that, then Paul and uh, Ringo need to put on neon suits. and You know what I that mean? That would have been fun, <laughs> I think. But I did like, as the video progressed, you you went down the rabbit hole a bit more, right? Because then it was, oh, here's George, younger George and older George together. Here's Paul hanging out with younger Paul and younger George. and And then you have the one scene t- closer to the end where current Ringo and Paul are playing and the younger Beatles are all moving around them and manipulating stuff. I thought that was really cool, right? It, it was just nice happenstance that footage existed of that stuff of the younger Beatles that they could, Hey, let's do this. Um, it's just crazy know, though. I, I, until Alex said what he just said, I didn't even process the idea that like, Ringo and Paul just kind of showed up in street clothes to do this fucking music video and nobody told them to change. Especially Ringo. Ringo's Dude, wearing like Ringo's track wearing pants. like a Ninja Turtles t-shirt. Yeah, Ringo like, has been fucking anything. Oh, Ringo's I been wearing just... track suits for like 30 years now. Like he doesn't wear real clothes. <laughs> looks like he's okay, I so mean, he's wearing like his the tour Beatles, shirt, but want. his tour shirt is like really just so cartoony it's got like a pop vinyl of him on it it's wild <laughs> he's just wearing that in this music video for like the whole video the entire sure, the entire okay, shoot i think the they, thing that's most jarring about ringo is the fact that he dyes his beard and hair jet black and it's like <laughs> jesus dude it's the beard people who dye their beards really bother it's me it's weird yeah it's really weird what's funny Okay, what's funny about the outfits, though, so George is wearing that purple, for most of the video, he's wearing that purple blouse and purple fucking pants, right? But when you go back and watch the Hello Goodbye video, even then, he looked like a sore thumb sticking out wearing that with amongst the rest of them, because they were all wearing different things. He was sticking out then, like, it wasn't like they were all wearing matching outfits, at the time should we talk like, about real like quick George? like what's what's everyone's favorite beatles aesthetic like just in terms of like Ooh. what they were you know what i mean like their looks yeah because i to me prime beatles of any of the beatles is paul doing the let it be recordings mm. i like yeah, he's got such head, a like there's... jazzy look to him like it's hard to like, 
you know what I mean? But like that look, it would yeah. look not out of place today if you just walked down the street looking like that. The two that initially popped in my head, one was Let It Be, just them in general, the rehearsal time, the the rooftop performance. Um, but also the very end of the touring era, uh, when they were still wearing the suits, but they were wearing more the modern suits. Because initially they had those weird collarless outfits and weird shit. Um, but towards the very end, they were just wearing standard just like black suits. I think it's either that, um, you know, I guess that would be right before Rubber Soul. Yeah. Well, do you think it's weird um, that all American youth, and I'm assuming English youth too, still go through the two Beatles phases, which is the touring years where everyone wears their hair a little bit long and then they become adults. And then they, everyone grows scruffy beards like they're the late 60s Beatles. In fact, Matt has the Paul McCartney Beatles look right now. (laughs) No, my hair's longer than that. Yeah, but you know, I feel like that is like a standard, like it is funny that most American youth go through those same two looks, which is the, Mm -hmm. the Bieber cut for modern times. And then, and then you, (laughs) then you grow into the sort of the, the, you know, long hair pushed back with beard look. Right. We, it's funny because they popularized that look, but it's persisted ever since. Wild. Yeah, it is wild. I mean, Paul has, uh, you know, still basically dresses and wears his like hair and stuff the same as he did. Like basically mm-hmm. anytime post like 1980. It's thinned out since then, but um, but you know what yeah, I mean. No, he basically has the still same got. Look. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Ringo's changed a little. No, Ringo went Although to Ringo's the track. Ringo's been series. consistent. Ringo's been consistent with like the super short hair. Yeah, he. It's the Austin and the glasses look. and. The, <laughs> yes, he's had that since like the eighties. Is Austin Aries supposed to be Ringo or no? What's he doing? He's supposed to be an asshole. That's what he's supposed to be. I thought he was ripping off um, someone, but God, Andrew, what's your um, favorite Beatles look, though? Real quick. Hold on, hold on, hold on, real quick before we do that. George Harrison, I appreciate his look the most because his was always different. Like even when he moved on and had the longer hair, he had the longer hair, no facial hair, longer hair, facial hair, shorter hair, facial hair. Not any hair, facial hair, long hair. Like he was all fucking over the place. Dyed his hair, didn't dye his hair. Like pulled his hair up, had it down. Like every single George Harrison live performance when he's older, post Beatles, every promo photo, album cover, different every single time. It was kind of that way with this music, too. I think there's interesting parallels between Paul's music is basically the same. Anything post now is the same. Whereas George's music is kind of all over the place as well, right? Every album was different. Um, there's 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 thoroughfares. There is something one, to people who sort of get into their habit, right? They like sort of settle on like this is who I am versus like the George mm-hmm. types who are, you know constantly evolving and well like george was definitely who he was but he just he was always kind of reminds me stuff man i mean yeah but george it reminds me of me at least as far as my looks go we're like eh, i'm gonna let my hair grow long for a little while eh, i'm gonna keep it short for a few years like whatever there's no real rhyme or reason to it just you know what i want to do i mean ultimately i I kind of agree with the let it be era being the best version. Cause I mean, it's when they were the most distinct from each other, really. It's also when they were the most Beatles. Too. It's yeah. It's the most iconic. Like that is the lasting image of the Beatles together is really that, that look I feel like. Yeah. The, the don't let me uh, down video. Like those clips, I feel like are the most recognizable shots of them. 
Now, is that because it was so unique, or do you think it's because it's the last, essentially the last thing? I think it's just because it's the last time we see them play together, probably. So that's the most contemporary. That's what I think it is. Yeah, image it's the most of them. That's something that, and I don't want to fully get into it tonight. I'm sure at some point we're going to rank Beatles albums. God, no, that'll be a fucking thing. But um, everybody talks about how, oh, man, Abbey Road's the best because it's the most modern sounding album. Because chronologically was the well, last one that's not recorded. why it's the but best. Like, I think Let It Be yeah, and just, like basically everything after Rubber Soul sounds just as modern. In terms of production. Yeah. Yeah, that's the thing. I don't I don't hear a difference in production between Abbey Road and Let It Be, except for the the Phil Spector stuff. Sure. Uh, right. Obviously. It, even but Revolver. Like, I mean, all the stuff in Revolver could easily be on Abbey Road and it would sound, you know, fine. There'd be a way yeah. to arrange it where it would make sense. I just don't know if you guys felt they had that same vibe or if that's or if I'm correct in what, you know, going against what everybody says online about that. So are we going to talk about, I know we're about at time here, but the re-release of the blue and red albums, I feel like the blue album kind of speaks for itself in a way. Cause you know, we're going to talk about Abbey road and let it be in revolver and all that stuff. But I don't know when we'll talk about the stuff on the red album again. So I would kind of like to mm. hear, you know, from you guys, some of your favorite early Beatles songs, um, especially given yeah, the remaster. It, yeah, just to touch on with the Blue Album, like Blue Album coming out, being remastered, almost every song on there, uh, because of the time frames, are on those remastered sets that have come out the last five years already. So like other than like three or four tracks, um, primary, primarily Yellow Submarine stuff, most of that, like, we've had already, right? Um, I did want to give some flowers to Hey Bulldog, because they added that onto uh, the Blue Album. And they got a 2023 remix, and it sounds um, pretty pretty good. That's one of my favorite deeper cuts uh, from the later years. Uh, but going over to, to the Red, so they use that Mal technology to separate out and give us stereo versions of mono song like songs that were recorded in mono that only exist in mono um just from a technical achievement standpoint that's wild to me that we've accomplished that um and i'll give them props they didn't go crazy with it like in the way that capitol records did in the 60s making fake ass stereo where like the singing was on the left and the instruments were on the right and it hurt your ears if you listen to it on headphones um you know it was all done very subtly um but there were a few instances where like random instruments that were buried in the mix all of a sudden came alive uh for example can't buy me love or no hard day's night there's bongos in there and they're like you can hear them uh but on the new red album like those bongos are like fucking front and center and it's a little weird um, but I really enjoyed a lot of the early, early stuff that was previously only mono that we now have, you know, stereo versions. I think that's really cool. Yeah, I, uh, I'm excited to replace in my playlist some of the early versions with with the 2023 mixes now. Um, I think about songs like Twist and Shout or I Saw Her Standing There that are good. Like those are ones we were talking about earlier, how Andrew doesn't have a lot of Beatles songs in his playlist, but those are ones to me that are fun, like car ride songs, kind of like upbeat songs that you can listen to. Um, and they sound like they were recorded on a toaster prior to this. So it'll be interesting to see uh, how that works. But um, in terms of the early Beatles stuff, it's sort of weird looking at the red album because rubber soul and, revolver stuff is on there and it's like well that's obviously the best stuff but you know basically tracks one through 19 right the so the the first record on the red album 
I think Matt, that's the stuff you were talking about, right? The truly early yeah, stuff. like like for me, like for me to you, she loves you. I want to hold your hand. Like I love that stuff. Um, can't buy me love. Hard days. I, I do night. find it interesting that yesterday came out so early in their songwriting. It is pr- right. It, it may feels- be the best. Be- it's got an argument to be the best Beatles song. Or certainly the most one of the most recognizable. It's one of the best early ones. I think it's hands down um, the best I, from the first forty songs they put out, or whatever. I don't know. Like, it, we'll have this conversation at a different point later in time. But like, if you told me pick one song off of Red that you want to listen to right right now, like, I think she loves you would be the one I pick. The, I don't know why that is one that they always play it. Beals tributes I've noticed well that was their first American big American hit that's not why I like it it's just yeah it's one of the most Beatly <laughs> Beatles songs but like God uh freaking help is amazing we can work it out well, help my is favorite. Rubber. once you get into rubber soul that's to me they're like the Beatles at that point like that that is yeah. to me the no, first the one- record record in my opinion. The one thing that that I will say that I don't like about the remastered version of this is they added extra tracks. Virtually all of Revolver and Rubber Soul are on here. Like, literally yes. all but, like, two or three tracks each. And it's kind of... Like, I love those albums, right? Those are some of my favorite Beatles albums are Rubber Soul and Revolver. But, like, I don't know that I need seven-eighths of it on a compilation like can we tone it down a smidge guys yeah and, and that's what i was saying earlier it's like revolver feels really out of place if you put the red on shuffle because you go from i saw her standing there to like you know axe man yeah and it's like what the fuck happened like, here what? <laughs> it's like the the, yeah. the blue album it- songs kind of go better together although they you still have go together. you still have all the weird uh sergeant pepper stuff that kind of like well this you know, when they were experimenting or magical mystery tour shit. Yeah, but then again, you could say that about White Out, some of the weird shit on White Album, too. <laughs> like, I, I think I think the later year, the Blue Album stuff you could put on shuffle and be pretty coherent. And, and I think that's why these are in chronological order. Like, I think almost like Beatles 1 is also in chronological order because you couldn't do it non-chronological. It would just be too jarring. Although, uh, the Love Album... I'm sure you've heard that one, the one from the Cirque du Soleil show, uh, which was like one of the first times they actually went and remixed stuff in the modern era, um, which was actually my gateway drug into Beatles was that album. Um, that one goes all over the place, front and back on the discography, and it's not jarring. But they also completely remixed things and put, you know, used demo versions of tracks and alternate takes and you know, there's a couple of tracks where they mixed, like, there's one where it's the word, Drive My Car, and there's a third song, and they put them into one track. Like, the three songs are mashed up. So, like, it, it it's not as jarring as you would think, but I don't know. Andrew, what are your thoughts? Alec and I have been dominating this. What are your thoughts? Uh, You gotta, you know, turn that question into something. Cause there's like 8,000 topics related to this. Well, so what are some of your favorite early Beatles songs? Things on I red album. Kinda, Cause obviously yeah. you like all, you know, you ask any Beatles fan, they're going to go straight to Sergeant Pepper or Abbey road. But Ugh. yeah, well, I mean, but like yesterday I'm, is I'm spectacular. I'm also a big Eleanor Rigby uh, fan. Yes. It's a great, yes. great song. That might also be their best. Like yesterday and Eleanor Rigby are the two that stand out to me as well. Where it's like these are two that are in uh, their top five. You know what might be my top five? Day in the Life. Well, that's on the that blue album, a... you bastard. Okay, okay. Just for red, just yes. for red. Okay, okay. Sorry, sorry. We're going to talk about Sergeant Peppers in its totality at some point. So let's leave that. Andrew, do you ever listen to any of the like early stuff, like the bit bop boo stuff? 
No, I really don't Skiffle listen to stuff. it much. Um, <laughs> I do like Twist and Shout. That's uh, like one of the few songs you could still even... play at like a wedding or something, you know? It It's something about the aggression of the vocals that makes it come out of that fucking Yeah, it is almost era. like a little bit of like a mm-hmm. punk rock kind of vocal delivery yeah. from John. I think that that's the thing Ron that makes the song his fucking work. vocal cords out. Like, good lord. Yeah, it would be so cool to... Twist and Shout is one of those ones... It, I mean, it was a cover, but I feel like you could recover it, like, you know. Like, it wouldn't have been weird if, like, Nirvana had, like, a cover of Twist and Shout, you know? Like, I feel like you could do that song so many different ways. Could you imagine Kurt trying to replicate John's vocals on that? Oh, my God. He has the rasp. He could do that, you know? That would have been... That's a job for AI. Give us Nirvana covering Twist and Shout. I would support that. It's so incredibly specific. Yeah. You know what I wish there was more of? And I know why it's not the case is more bands covering Beatles stuff. Like, and there's a fair amount of Beatles covers out there, but you don't get a lot of covers of the early stuff. Yeah, it's always come together or something mm-hmm. or that kind of revolution stuff. or whatever. I would love to see a cover of like primarily the early stuff, but like metal bands. And I don't mean like like heavy, heavy metal, but like, I, don't know, I would love that. I think <laughs> so like a pop goes punk album or yeah. Pop goes Beatles punk of the Beatles, Beatles goes metal or the, some crap. Okay. Yeah. Oh, that was something I really liked it's, about the yesterday movie is having someone do kind of like a modern recording of some of those early songs. Mm-hmm. It's interesting. To hear I like that were. movie a lot. Yeah. I don't know when we're going to talk about that movie again, but I really enjoyed it. It was a bit disappointing given the fact that they had the rare opportunity of having the Beatles catalog available to them. And that's kind of what they came up with. Like the concept was a good concept, but the execution was. Towards really- the end, it kind of lost it. And like there were parts that they teased in the trailer. They, they teased like Paul and Ringo confronting him like, hey, that's our stuff. But then the movie dropped it. I don't know if that was like a plot line that fell out. It was or a dream. I don't know what the it was deal a bad was. dream he had. Oh, that's right. That's I think there was a lot of deleted a... scenes that were in the trailer originally that ended up getting cut. And it's totally possible that it was just the trailer was like, this will actually sell. So we're going to do this. Sure. But it was never intended to be in the film. Yeah. The problem with that movie is there wasn't enough Beatles mania for me. It went straight from like no. he's trying to make it, then he makes it, and then he's like, "This isn't right." It's like, yeah, you, it it's like you don't want to like you know just go tour for a little bit, you know. <laughs> I will say I really loved him meeting John Lennon, and it's an old man Lennon who wasn't ever a star, so he didn't get killed and everything. Like I loved that moment. Like that was really cool. Like just as a a Beatles fan, that that kind of that was a nice little thing. But it just felt like, yeah, all of a sudden he's just like, you know what? I can't do this anymore. And I was like, well, why? What? You just had the conversation with those super fans who remembered everything somehow about how it's so important that you keep it alive. And then you're like, ah, can't do this. Bro, what? It's been a long, I mean, I watched that movie when it came out and I never watched mm-hmm. it again. Uh, I didn't hate it, um, but some of that I don't remember, like what even happens in that movie. I do remember the John Lennon thing and being like, oh, that's cool. Yeah, I think a better it's not even a Beatles movie, but a better like movie in the same vein of like the Beatles experience is that thing you do. Like to me, that's a way better executed version of that kind of movie. And they didn't even have good music to use, you know? <laughs> so that that's where my frustration comes back to the yesterday movie. It's like, you guys could have done better, but. Yeah. I mean, they were, they didn't have Tom Hanks, but you could have gotten like Tom Hanks, probably if you're making a Beatles movie. You know what I mean? Sure. Like you, you probably could have gotten like Leo to be in it or something. And you could have went all out. Well, what's, what's wild is, so Peter Jackson loves the Beatles, right? He could have probably directed that movie. He probably would have been like, I'll do this for free. 
Like, did you try? I don't think you did. All right. So I think it's time to uh, wrap this up. Um, please remember to follow us on Twitter and Facebook. Uh, such good shit pod. Um, email is such good shit pal at gmail.com. And um, rate us and subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, do we have any parting words before we um, part ways? No. <laughs> like, I actually I do have anything. I, I do have one more now and then thing. I think a fun fact, and this can be our, my parting gift to you, is um, the Beatles discography starts with Paul counting in the group and it ends with Paul counting in the group. So, one, two, three. To play us out. Oh